please take your Bibles and go to Matthew's Gospel. If you're visiting with us, the black Bible and the chair in front of you, um, go to the back, find page six. Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter nine, excuse me, eight. We're gonna read chapter eight into chapter nine. So Matthew's Gospel, chapter eight, 23, 823. We'll do our study of 8.23 through chapter 9, verse 8. Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 23. I'll read through chapter 9, verse 8. Again, page 6 in that black Bible. And getting into the boat, his disciples followed him. And look, there arose a seismic storm in the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he himself was asleep. And coming to him, they awoke him saying, Save, Lord, we perish. And he said to them, Why are you timid, little faith ones? Then rising, he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there came a great calm And the men marveled, saying, What kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Verse 28. And when he had come to the other side into the country of the Gadarenes, two demonized men met him as they were coming out of the tombs, exceedingly violent, that no one could pass by that road. And look, they cried out, saying, What to us and to you, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time. Now there was at a distance from them a herd of many swine feeding. And the demons entreated him, saying, If you cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. And they came out and went into the swine, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. And the herdsmen ran away. And went to the city and reported everything and that of the things with the demonized men. And look, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they entreated him to depart from their region. Chapter 9. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And look, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, child. Your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said among themselves, this one blasphemes. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? For which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk. But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he said to the paralytic, rise, take up your bed and go to your home. And he rose and went to his home. But the multitude, seeing this, were all filled with fear and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Interested in team building and training? Go to Adventures Associates website, adventuresassociate.com, to see the different programs they offer, one of which 
of is their high ropes course. This is what it says on the website. Quote, business teams use harnesses, helmets, cables, ropes, and wooden beams strung 20 to 50 feet high among trees or poles to explore risk-taking, trust, and coaching. Quote, the high ropes elements are up in the tree, so the perceived risk is high, but the actual risk is low. (laughs) Really? So says you. Participants walk across cable bridges, negotiate giant ladders, or ride zip lines through the trees. The different things that they have, they have what's called a catwalk, a giant's ladder. They call it another thing called a heebie-jeebie, a multi-vine, something else they call the flying squirrel. Yikes. The trapeze jump, and this other one, I like this one. The wild woosie. And then, of course, they have the zip line. So, if you've ever done this, I don't know if you've ever done a ropes course, I've done one twice, and it's def- definitely interesting. And by the way, next Sunday, we're going to do that as a church, so Judy's going to lead the way. Um, now, if you've ever done a ropes course like the one the Adventures Associ- Associates describes, you know it truly develops trust in your team, yes. In the instructors, yes, but really in the ropes. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, they say, you're going to learn to trust yourself. I, no, no, I don't. I don't trust myself. I don't trust those ropes. That's the problem, right? It's the ropes I have difficulty with. It's not easy to trust when things look bleak, hard, difficult, impossible. It's one thing to sit there and say with your mind, I trust those ropes are going to hold me up and for you to actually get up on that thing and walk across the wild woosie or whatever it is. But that's the time to trust. Matthew's gospel is calling his readers, bow down and worship Jesus. He is the Messiah, King of Israel. And in this section of Matthew's gospel, we have this question put before us. How far will we trust our king? How far will we trust our king? Bow down and worship Jesus, the Messiah, King of Israel. Okay, well how far will you trust your king? To what extent will we trust? Here's a statement for you. Jesus is the powerful Messiah, King of Israel, who reigns over the power of nature, Satan, and sin. Do we trust him and his power? How far will we trust our king? This is the second set of three miracles in Matthew's gospel. We looked at the first set a couple weeks ago. This is the second set. We'll look at the next set next Sunday. And this is where Jesus is displaying his authority over nature, evil powers, and sin, disease too, but the emphasis is on sin. And these miracles were, were set against the backdrop of discipleship. To truly believe or follow Jesus is glorious, and yet it's dangerous. Because he calls us to trust him. It's a high cost, but it's well worth it. 
Reflecting upon these miracles tells us a lot about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. His authority is sufficient. That he overcomes trials. He can overcome Satan and sin when life is uncertain. When Satan attacks, when sin is present, will we trust our King? Life is filled with uncertainties. Sin is ever before us. Satan is constantly attacking us because he hates us. He hates everybody. Will we trust our King? Notice the three different parts you see. Um, Over nature, evil powers, sin. Number one, the first one we'll see. King Jesus reigns over the power of nature. Then I'm gonna give you a question, actually an answer to the question. Will we trust him amid life certainties? He controls all. He's in control. He's sovereign. He controls Will we trust him amid life's uncertainties? Notice how it begins in verse 23. He got into the boat. His disciples followed him. How far would they follow Jesus? To what extent would they follow Jesus? When a person comes to faith, They put their trust or hope in Jesus, receiving him as Savior and Lord. That's the gospel. And Jesus will take our simple trust in him and grow it. He will test our discipleship just like he did with his disciples right here. He shows us that even the winds and the seas obey him. Look, if nature answers to Jesus, he is sovereign over everything. He controls. Or you can put, he dominates. Thine is the dominion, O Lord. Thine is the dominion, O Lord. Thou hast exalted thyself as head over all. That's why you were singing that. I'm not as dumb as I look. I try to get those songs to match the passage. You're singing the very thing you're going to be looking at. Notice what happens, verse 24. And look, there arose in New American Standard a great storm. Literally, it's a great seismic. It's where you get the word earthquake. A great seismic in the sea. Now understand, the Sea of Galilee was, is 700 feet below sea level. And so winds will sweep down through the steep ravines, whipping up sudden and destructive storms. And notice it says, uh, uh, and so that the boat was covered with the waves. The waves are way up high, and the boat was way a little tiny down low. Keep in mind, too, four of the disciples were fishermen, commercial fishermen. They knew the Sea of Galilee. They're used to these kinds of storms. So they knew that this one was particularly bad to the point that they truly thought they'd die. They really thought this. But he himself was asleep. 
Jesus, song logs, baby. Tired from a long, heavy day of healing and teaching. It tells us something. It showed Jesus' complete trust in the Father's providential care. When the storms of life hits, trusting Jesus and his saving power, as one writer put it, will be rewarded. Trust the Father like Christ trusted the Father. Well, notice how the disciples responded in verse 25. They coming to him, they woke him saying, it's just three words in the Greek. Save, Lord, perish. We perish. They're freaking out. They begged him to deliver them from this horrible peril. Interesting. Sometimes God takes the perils away. Sometimes he doesn't. But our trust and our confidence, as uh, Ed Welch said, it's not in Jesus to the point where it's going to act like a sedative. Quote, confidence in Jesus does not act like a sedative. End quote. No. We suffer in this life, and yet God is always faithful, isn't he? Notice how Jesus responds to them. Actually, a gentle rebuke. He says, why are you timid? Why are you cowardly? They were so desperate, they actually asked a carpenter for help when they were fishermen with all their sea skills, right? They're asking a carpenter for help. I noticed what he calls them, little faith ones. Really, guys? How much do you really trust me as, they just called him, Lord? Did they have faith? Of course they did. Genuine faith? Yes. Limited, tiny, weak. Jesus will bring trials to deepen our following him. Trust or faith or belief is stepping out and doing it. It's just not merely a cerebral thing of your mind. It involves, as the reformers would say, fiducia for Latin, meaning commitment. And then he does this, the end of verse 26, rising. He rebuked the winds and the sea and it became perfectly calm. The storm stopped as quickly as it began. A great calm happened as the God of the Old Testament rules over nature. So does Jesus because he truly is God incarnate, the God-man. He spoke and the winds and the seas obeyed him. And that's why it says in verse 27, the men marveled. They said, what kind of man is this? What's this power over this storm, over the, the, the winds and the sea? We as his followers are powerless, but he is majestic. Even the elements obey him. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up. The floods have lifted up their voice, as you just uh, uh, read in Psalm 93. And yet our trust and our hope is in God and his word. He's more than just a man. He's the God-man, Lord of all. And in this, Jesus strengthened the quality of their faith in him. 
If nature obey Christ, how much more should we? Our faith is in direct proportion to our accurate perception of Jesus. To what extent will we trust Him? He will take our simple faith and make it stronger. And Jesus calls us to focus on Him and His power. When life is uncertain, to what extent will we trust our King? You know how things happen. Things happen. Things happen that you don't plan on. You don't plan on getting sick. You don't plan on things falling through financially. You don't plan on losing that job. You don't plan on any of those things. I mean, that'd be ridiculous, absurd that you would plan on that. Life is filled with uncertainties. How far are you going to trust God? How far are you going to trust your king? He's calling you. King Jesus reigns over the power of nature. Will we trust him amid life's uncertainties? Here's number two. King Jesus reigns over the power of evil. Will we trust him amid Satan's attacks? Christ conquered Satan. Christ conquered him. That's what we see in chapter 8, verses 28 to 34. Notice in verse 28. <clears throat> he comes to the other side into the country of the Gadarenes. Two demonized men met him as they were coming out of the tombs. The region of the Gadara. Notice Matthew's not concerned about details. You can see details in Luke or Mark's gospel. But there's no details that he gives here. His focus is this. Jesus has authority over the evil forces. That's the focus. And with the word, he sent them out. And he has mercy on these men, these two demonized men. They lived in a cemetery. Well, that's fun. And a total menace to anyone. Notice, it says, the end of verse 28, exceedingly violent that no one could pass by that road. What were they all about? Death and violence. Because Jesus took on human flesh, there was increased activity among the demonic realm. Why? Because they wanted to oppose Jesus, they wanted to oppose the incarnation, and they wanted to oppose his death. They didn't want that to happen. They were confused. Notice what happens in verse 29. And look, they cried out saying, what to us and to you? Notice how they recognized Jesus as the Son of God. They knew better than religious leaders or the crowds. Yet testimony from this kind of source is not welcome. There's no applause when our rivals welcome us. What to us and to you? Literally from the Greek. What to us? There's no common ground with us. What are you doing here? They wondered if Jesus had come to torment them before the appointed time of their judgment. Our enemies know their final destination. They know their final fate is destruction. They know that. But they don't want it any sooner than necessary. And, and when Jesus came, it began the messianic age. God's kingdom is here now. There's still the future part that's to come, right? There's still the future part that's to come in Jesus' reign. But God, 
has come now in Jesus. The messianic age has started now. His kingdom is here now. Notice what takes place there in verse 30. A distance, a herd of swine, many swine feeding nearby. So this was most like that Gentile territory. Notice they entreated Jesus. You see Jesus' authority? To send them to the swine if he was going to cast them out. Notice their urgency, and yet they were so respectful of him. His authority over them. And it says here, the end of verse 31, Oh, excuse me, beginning of verse 32. And he said to them, go. Literally in the Greek, it's just one word. Jesus said only one word in this whole section from verses 28 to 34. Do you notice that? He only says one word. Go. To display his dramatic, powerful authority. Matthew does this on purpose. No other details. No other parts, parts about the story. Just a simple word from Jesus. Go. Because he has authority. He, he didn't do some incantation. He didn't show them a crucifix. He didn't work up some mantra or do some little dance. Just one word. Go. You see? His authority. Notice it says here in verse 32, they came out, they rushed down the steep bank, they went, they went to the swine, rushed down the steep bank, perished in the waters. Again, Matthew is not concerned about details, that's, that's not his point. Verse 34, herdsmen, they ran away, they went to the city, reported everything, and then what happened to the demonized man? The whole city comes out. Notice it says, they came out, Look, verse 34. Holy came out. Maybe he's a, a dangerous magician. Maybe he messed up their livelihood. Matthew doesn't concern us about all the, any of those details. But what does he point out to us? The end of verse 34. They entreated him to depart from their region. Do you see this contrast here? Matthew doesn't tell us anything, but he does tell us the stunning part is that they asked Jesus to leave them. This is amazing. A stark contrast compared to the other responses that were given to Jesus. Carson, D.A. Carson says this, quote, they, quote, preferred pigs to persons, swine to the Savior, end quote. An unfavorable attitude toward Jesus. They value pigs and the normal life over Jesus. This is, this is shocking. Where you'd think there would be worship, there's opposition. Where, where you'd think people would say, wow, well, I can't believe that he did this. These guys just... They're, they're making our lives horrible. He messed up everything that's going on in our lives. He messed up our routine. Wait, what? It's true. That's true sometimes. People think this way. Though 
Jesus brings healing, freedom, grace, compassion, and the defeat of the enemy. People still want the ordinary, same routine because it's familiar, usual, habitual, comfortable. Freedom posed a threat. You want to know why people go back to substance abuse? You want to know why they go back to that? A reason why. Because it's comfortable. It's familiar. Freedom poses a threat. It's sad. You would think the opposite would be the response from the people, but it's not. So we too must be ready to face rejection and persecution with faith, not in fear. If Jesus faced it, so will we. We must trust the Lord as we faithfully proclaim the gospel word, leaving the results to him. He will turn rejectors into followers with whomever he wills. And realize that he conquers the evil one. The enemy hates us and wants to destroy us, but as James says, resist the devil and he will flee. Jesus conquered him. Will you trust him in that? Jesus conquers the evil forces. Jesus conquers nature. Will we trust him in the midst of life's uncertainties? Jesus conquers the evil forces. Will we trust him amid Satan's attacks? He controls, he conquers, and he forgives. Number three, King Jesus reigns over the power of sin. Will we trust him amid sin's presence? He forgives us. There's always forgiveness in the name of Jesus. He always forgives. Notice what happens here in chapter 9. And getting into the boat, he crossed over, came to his own city, and look, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Again, Matthew's leaving out all the details of this historical story. What's the crucial aspect of Jesus' authority? He can and does forgive sin. He's not a blasphemer of God, but the Savior of people. He can heal the sick, but it's more important is that where there is faith, Jesus forgives sinners. Only in Jesus are we forgiven. Notice he says this to the paralytic, seeing their faith, which most likely would be those carrying him, as well as that man, the paralytic, Take courage, child. Notice his tenderness. Your sins are forgiven. His compassion and gentleness and his authority to forgive. He had such tenderness. No guilt in life, no fear in death because all our sins are gone in Christ. This is the essence of the gospel. Jesus can bring forgiveness of all our sins because he took sin upon himself. He took our sin upon himself where he died, where we should die. He died as our substitute and physically resurrected from the dead. If you're here and you're not a Christian, this gospel message is for you. You can have forgiveness of all your sins. Repent and trust Jesus Christ. You can be saved. All of that sin, that punishment was put on Jesus in the place of sinners. That's why he can forgive. God's a just God, but he's also a merciful and gracious God. Uh, Just a question. 
was his healing a direct result of sin? We don't know. We do know that all sickness is really the indirect result of the fall. That's the, the reason we get sick is because we're fallen and we live in a fallen world. And yet it seems that because Jesus forgave him, it seems like his illness may be due to some sin. We just don't know. Because again, Matthew doesn't give us the details. But notice what happens. The next part here in verse three. Behold, some of the scribes said among themselves, this one blasphemes. These are the <coughs> legal experts of the law who had no compassion but were defiant, rejecting, as one writer says, accusatory. Blasphemy means he was slandering God by reviling his name and pretending to do what only God can do. To say this was to take on God's prerogative. That's not for Jesus to do. You can't do that. You can't say that. Who does this guy think he is? Look at verse 4. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts by the ministry of the Holy Spirit and by his deity, of course, he knew their evil thoughts, or rather the fact that they were thinking evil of him. He says, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Verse 5. For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? It's easier to say sins are forgiven because the bystanders, they can't confirm it, right? They can't refute it or confirm it. They do it. But if a paralyzed man gets up and walks, well, that's obvious. Well, that's harder, right? Ah. But on a deeper level, it's switched. On a deeper level, his second statement was actually easier because a healer can say it, but only God truly forgives sinners. That's harder. But then notice, he says here in verse 6, But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, healing the man would show that he had the authority to forgive sins. His words confirm his authority as, notice he calls himself the Son of Man. That's from Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. I have the authority to forgive sins. Guess what, guys? I am God. That's what he's saying. He's calling himself God. The Son of Man, I have authority to forgive sins. Jesus' miracles, his actions, and his teaching, his words, confirm and show his authority to rule on earth. He is the great King of Israel to whom all should bow and worship and for those who bow to the Lord Jesus, they will receive forgiveness of sins. He forgives His arms are wide open to you. Come and he will forgive you. You're not good enough. That's the whole point. (laughs) Well, I'm not good enough. That's the whole point. You're not, you never will be. That's why you keep repenting and trusting Jesus. Because you're horrible. And so am I. We're all horrible sinners. (laughs) That's why we need grace. That's why we need a savior to save us and for God to show us mercy and forgiveness. He, he does it. Uh, end of verse 6, he turns to the paralytic, rise, take up your bed, and go to your home. Verse 7, he rose, went home. Bada bing, bada boom, right there. <laughs> Did exactly as he was told. The power to heal is evidence of the greater authority to forgive. I mean, if he can heal, 
you can assume, safely assume, the first statement, your sins are forgiven, is just as genuine and real and for sure it is. Notice what happens here in verse eight. The multitude seeing this, they were all struck with fear. And they praised God, not just that the man was healed, but that authority was given to Jesus to do such a thing. What thing? To forgive sinners. The king has arrived, he heals, and he forgives. With these healings, God was speaking, and it showed, as one writer put it, quote, the ultimate defeat of sin and Satan has begun. And we also see a little bit of opposition with Jesus is beginning to rise up, beginning to brew. But to those who trust him, he'll forgive their sin and he'll grow their faith. So recapping through these things. Jesus is the powerful Messiah King of Israel who reigns over the power of nature, of Satan and sin. Will we trust him amid life's uncertainties? He controls. Let this passage almost be a comfort, but even a conviction to us. Life is filled with uncertainty. God's calling you to trust Him. Life is filled with things that you do not expect. Jesus is calling you to trust Him. He controls the great seismic waves that you feel like are about to topple over you and you think, you feel that he doesn't care. He does. He controls. Will we trust him amid Satan's attacks? He conquers. The evil one has no power over you. Jesus has conquered him. Resist the devil, he will flee. We take God's word and our trust is in God's word, not in the things that we see before us, not in the circumstances, but in Jesus Christ and him alone. Will we trust him amid sin's presence? You will constantly be dealing with sin and yet Jesus will constantly forgive you. I mean, does not 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 ring into your ears He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It just keeps ringing in our heads the promise that Jesus forgives. He controls, he conquers, he forgives. This is what we see in this passage. You have such hope in our Savior. And Jesus, help us. Our faith is weak. Ward and I just looked at each other and we, we both just affirm that statement. We, we have such weak faith. And at times you call us little faith ones. Life throws such curves at us. Things that we don't expect. Jesus, help us to trust you. Satan will attack us. He will come after us in so many different ways, despair, discouragement, through persecution. Help us to stand firm, as Paul says, because you have conquered. Sin is there. It's ever-present in our lives. 
we still have the remnants of sin in us. And yet, thank you, Jesus, for your authority over the things of this life, your authority over the evil one, and your authority even over our sin. And we come in trust and faith, and you forgive us. We remind ourselves of this gospel truth. You are near, O God. You are near to us through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to hold on to these promises. Help us to hold on to you. I encourage you in these few moments to let your mind dwell on these things that we've seen in Matthew's gospel. We'll do our time of giving. We'll sing a couple more songs. But first, we'll just take a few moments for, for you to let your mind think and ponder on, this, on these truths on the gospel, on God's promises. Let God's word be planted deeply inside your soul.